Hey, everybody, this is Jim. Welcome back to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. And in just a moment, we'll continue uh, with where basically we left off last time, looking at the book of Acts. In the last podcast, I had taken some time to look at some scriptures in the book of Acts, and I wasn't sure at the time if I was going to go verse by verse or section by section. Um, I wanted to get some uh, information across to you that was was meaningful uh, in my life and in some other people's lives, um, because I believe that the originals of anything, if you want to know... Um, Let's, let, me, let me put this this way. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, my Aunt Helen, my great aunt who I grew up with, I know some of you may say aunt, my Aunt Helen, um, was born in 1894, and uh, she passed away in 1998. So she lived to be 104 years old, almost 105. And I remember asking her at the time, I said, you know, when you were a, a child, there were Civil War veterans still alive who were meeting, and I asked if um, she had met any of them. So the Civil War ended in 1865, and so she was born in 1894. So if the average age of a soldier was 18 years old, then, you know, you just do the quick math, there would have been um, people still living from that time. Uh, not to mention a lot of famous people who were still alive at that time. And, you know, I used to sit and listen to her tell stories about the way things used to be. And, you know, I, she said she did admit that the snow got a little deeper every year. But back then, you know, they walked to school, literally walked miles to school. And she lived in a park called Retsoff, New York, as a uh, child. And she would tell me stories and my, uh, her sisters, my other great aunts and my grandmother, who was also one of the sisters, they would tell me stories about back in the day. But um, Aunt Helen was the oldest, being born in the 1890s. The rest of them were born probably, I would say, from 1910 uh, and onwards, 1905 onwards. And uh, I, used to, I used to just love hearing about what the world was like back then. And, um, and it wasn't, you know, I'm not trying to romanticize the past. What I'm just saying is that if you want to know the details about something, um, it's always good to be able to draw that information out of somebody who was actually there, somebody who was an eyewitness. And so when we look at scriptures like this in the Bible, you know, sometimes you just look at it and it's, well, this is the Bible, you know. But remember that the, the scrolls uh, that the Bible was written on, these letters and things, they had been uh, circulated in the church throughout the years. And the people who first read these letters— they were actually alive at the time uh, Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth as a man, right, as a, as a human being. They were there when all of these things happened. They were eyewitnesses. There were so many eyewitnesses. Now, the interesting thing about it is when you uh, put yourself in that position, in that place, like you're there, you know, you do your best that you can reading these sentences and words. Sometimes it's a little easier to read it in another translation I always like to have what I call a foundational translation. For example, I started reading the King James Version because I, I was told that was the most accurate translation. 
And now years later, I mean, we have access to so many different translations, but I always go back to that one. I use that as the base. And yes, it's true that sometimes certain verses are clearer in other translations or a certain word is, is used a little bit differently, not changing the meaning of the whole thing, but bringing it home a little bit closer. And so I encourage you, you know, if you, uh, the Amplified Bible is a, a good way to get a little more insight into what the original language was really saying. But, you know, something is lost in translation, but I look at it this way. If you have the Holy Spirit, you don't have to rely on just on head knowledge, right? I mean, here in our culture, we um, glorify um, the learning process or, or information. And one of the things that astounded the learned men of the time was that they were just fishermen. They were untaught men, most of them. And they marveled at where um, these men got their insights. And the truth is they got them from the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit living on the inside of them, the same Spirit that you have today that gave them information, that gave them insight, will give you insight. And so a lot of times we have to unlearn some of the things that we spent our entire lives hearing over and over and over again, right? So yes, the written word is good because it anchors us. It brings us back to the foundational truths. You know, sometimes people just get weird and they, and they see things that aren't there and they'll take one scripture and they'll create an entire new teaching around it. But you know, I believe that if you stay with what the Bible says and use the Bible as its own um, interpreter. In other words, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let the truth be established. The same thing with the scriptures go in the, in the mouth or in the witness of two or three scriptures, let, let a truth be established. And so one of the things that I noticed uh, right away was a difference of how they prayed in the book of Acts and how we pray today. Now, I'm not talking about when they prayed corporately, when there was a bunch of people all lifting up their voices together. A lot different than we hear today when one person is praying and everybody is silent, listening to that one person pray. Now, somebody would say, well, um, you know, if, how, can, how can there be any agreement if everybody's talking at once and nobody hears what the, anybody else is saying? You can barely hear what you're saying yourself. Well, the difference is, is that you notice in the book of Acts, the words used are, and they were with one accord, one mind, one purpose. And so that's the difference. If everybody's in one accord... The actual words they're using are all in harmony with, with one another. The actual thought, what they're praying for, what they're trusting God and, and believing, is all, they're all on the same page. It's not one person believing one thing and one person believing another. And so at the end of the day, the Bible said the tree is known for its fruit, right? It's not known for its knowledge. It's known for its fruit. And, and when you judge... The Bible doesn't say not to judge. It says when you judge, judge righteously. And so we don't, we can't see what's in the heart of somebody else. You know, some people are, are, are being motivated by things that we're not even aware of. And so back to the book of Acts, you can see in the chapter two, it says they were with one accord in one place when the Holy Spirit came and Peter preached his first sermon after that. When the people all heard them speaking in other tongues. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about Paul speaking in other tongues. And he said he spoke in the tongues of men, plural, and the tongues of angels. 
Now, obviously here they were speaking in the tongues of men because all the people around them heard them speaking in their own language. This is very interesting because it says in verse number seven, Acts chapter two, it says, they were all amazed and marveled and looked around to one another. Are not all these men who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language? There was actually a miracle of hearing, I believe, going on at the same time. So imagine that, let's just take two modern languages. Imagine there's a bunch of Hebrew people around and they're all in one accord. And you're on the outside, you're not on the inside. And you hear them speaking in English, but they were never taught English. The person next to me is from Italy, he hears them speaking in Italian. The person next to me is German, he hears them speaking in German. In other words, each person heard them. Isn't that what that says? Isn't that what that means right there? How is it that we hear each in our own language? So a lot of people don't really point, I've never really heard that pointed out very much, but anyway, what were they actually speaking? They were speaking about the wonderful works of God, right? And so you, you can see there were people there from all over the world, all different languages around the, that original crowd of Jewish believers and each person from different parts of the, of the earth were hearing them speak in their own language. And then the... Um, uh, Peter gets up and he preaches his first message. And he says, it comes to pass in the last days. So now that word there can be translated last error, last time. And, you know, we just got done reading the first chapter where they asked Jesus, will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And, you know, the Bible says a lot about Israel, that all who are of Israel in the flesh are not Israel. In other words, the Bible says in Christ, uh, you are a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision that counts is not of the flesh, but in the spirit, in the book of Romans. But anyway, uh, and you can read, he preached his first sermon there, and it says the people that were heard his word, a lot of them were happy, and they believed. And, and here, in the 39th verse, um. Well, let's read the 38th, excuse me. It says, Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So this is just my opinion, but if they're in the last days, but this promise is to people that are far off. Now, it's not talking about distance like miles. It's talking about time, right? Because it says, for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off. In other words, those generations which are yet to come. And so... I see potentially two ends being talked about and then those ends being very similar uh, to one another. Number one, I see the end of uh, Israel as they knew it, of the nation of Israel. It was destroyed by the Roman ar armies as a um, matter of record. They say that two million Jews were, according to the historical narrative, two million Jews were slaughtered in a day. In a, in a single day. I mean, that's quite a, I mean, 
it's hard to even imagine that. How would you, how would you even depict that on a movie screen? What type of special effects would be need, needed to get that across? Especially, we're not talking about a giant bomb dropping. We're talking about soldiers who are on foot or on horse using swords and arrows and other instrument instruments of ancient war. Yeah, they had those big um, flaming boulder things that they would shoot into the walls and over the walls, but... Still, it's a pretty brutal slaughter to kill, to, to watch people fall by the sword and, and by these other things in a day, as they said. So that's what I believe what Jesus was saying to, to the believers in, before he went to the cross. When you see these things happen, those who are in Judea flee for the mountains, because in that day, when there was an opposing army, where, where would they flee? They did the opposite. They would flee to the city because the city is where there was a wall. But again, matter of historical record, that uh, they were shut in there in Jerusalem in, is, uh, around the, that city. They were actually shut in by the walls. Nobody could get out. There were actually people starving to death. Uh, the historian Josephus said some of them were eating their dead, eating the children in order to stay alive. And so it was a uh, it was a terrible time. But we're not there yet in the book of Acts. We're here where it says the Lord was adding to the church daily. And what does the church mean? It means the called out ones. That's what it means. It doesn't mean a building. It doesn't mean a location. It means a group of people that God has called out. They're called the church. Now, we you know, we use the... Uh, visual words to help us understand, like a temple. Jesus is the cornerstone. We're, we're given things that we can see, that we can latch onto to help us understand. But now notice in here in the third verse, and I've read this scripture many times before, when Peter heals the lame, actually Peter didn't heal anybody. It was the Holy Spirit through the apostle Peter that, that healed the man. But in the sixth verse, when he heals the man, when healing comes, he says, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he uses the full title there of his earth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, never again do you see him use that whole title like that. Now, you see other places in the Bible where they use the name of Jesus, but I, I, this is the only time I find Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the full part there. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that whether you use the name of Jesus or the name of Jesus Christ or the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it's not a formula because if it was a formula, if there was a correct legal legal legalese, if we're talking in legalese and you want to have every I dotted and every T crossed when it comes to prayer, you could see they didn't think that way. Right? Because if they did, you would have seen this repeated exactly like this. Same way when Jesus taught the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer back in in the uh, Gospels, we don't see that repeated again verbatim, word for word, but we do that today. Why? Well, because that's how we were taught, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know what you're taught. So where the problem really occurs is what happens if you were taught wrong, right? I mean, you know what you've been, you only know what you've been taught. I mean, some things you learn on your own, but all things being equal, we're taught how to do everything. We're taught how to uh, speak. We're taught how to read. We're taught how to write. 
We learn how to do things with the help and assistance of others. And spiritually speaking, the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit who is a teacher who has been sent to us to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our comforter. And Jesus told the Pharisees before he went to the cross, he said, by your traditions, you've made the word of God of none effect or ineffective or ineffectual. And so, you know, when I look at my life, I can see areas where I, things appear to be ineffective. Still to this day, after being a believing believer, the best I've known how, the best I've learned, uh, a lot of things I've been taught by other people, some things I unlearned. You know, I, I'm, I'm not here to say that I know 100% of every little thing because that no, no man can say that. Right? I, mean, I mean the truth these, these spiritual things, the, 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 teacher, the teacher that counts is the Holy Spirit. That's the way you have to look at it. And you can read this book for 50 years and you'll still get new things out of it 50 years from now. But, you know, I looked at certain areas of my life where I was ineffective and, thought, and I thought maybe I'm approaching this based on tradition instead of based on how it was meant to be approached. Right? And, and now there's different ways to look at it. Some You can just zip up the whole thing of a nice neat bow and say, if it's God's will, it happens. If it's not God's will, it, it doesn't. And you don't deal with it again. But the problem for me with that is that I've seen people that it was adding up, that the things were working for. And I got to know some of them, others I just read about. And I came to the conclusion that Either God had to have some kind of special favor on these people in order for them to receive and walk in the things they were walking. Either that has to be true, or it was exaggerated, or it's an out-and-out blatant lie. Uh, but I wanted to know, is this available to me or not? And I'm, I'm telling you, I got serious about it. And the more I began to dig into this book and more I began to see how they approach things, the more I began to see doubt, unbelief, fear, and other things like that that were present in my own life. Now, in the 12th verse, everybody looking at Peter in amazement that this miracle happened, that he said, his reply to them is, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why, you, or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. Now, you see, what I noticed happening in my life at the time, as I'm learning these things, and, and, and again, I'm putting it out there, I don't say that I have this 100%. I don't say that I have the ultimate insight. I'm just sharing with you what I learned, and you take it into your own heart or you don't, or you take it to God or you don't. It's up to you, but I'm putting it out there. I, I'm, I'm giving from my own experience in light of what this book actually does say. And I remember trying to pray harder. I thought maybe I'm not being sincere enough. Maybe I'm not being intense enough. But if my intensity can move the hand of God or can cause a miracle to happen, then at the end of the day, I can sit back and I can tell people, all you got to do is, is pray harder or pray louder or be more sincere. Now, all those things sound fine, but doesn't this put it back into your back upon you again that this is your power or this is your godliness? In other words, maybe you say, well, you know what? Maybe, 
maybe the change that I prayed for hasn't hasn't come to pass yet because I haven't been living holy. I haven't been living separate. I'm too involved in, well, you know, I don't care how disciplined you can get. That if salvation, right, doesn't come by your own works, if Paul spent the entire book of Galatians admonishing the people, he says that, does he that minister the Spirit among you or work miracles among you, does he do it by the hearing of the law or by faith? By the works of the law, I'm sorry, or by faith? Same thing. He, people looked at him and assumed that, you know what, if we can just get more godly, if we can just walk in greater sanctification and holiness, miracles will start to happen. And, you know, it just it didn't happen. It didn't work, and he told them, who has bewitched you? In other words, all of this stuff is free. Even your faith, the Bible says that you're not the author of your own faith. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the first and the last. And the Bible says, takes the book of, of Ephesians and talks about who we are in Christ and what we can do in him. And so these people weren't doing things because of any of the reasons that we hold today as to be evident or truth in our hearts. I'm not talking about in our heads. I'm talking about in our hearts because the whole Bible focuses on the heart of man or the heart of the individual, not just the facts they know, right? And so with all earthly things, if you want to improve, you practice. You put your own power. You put your own effort into it right? Now, obviously, praying takes some time and it takes some effort. Praying is a, or, or believing is a fight. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal. It's a fight. But it's not a fight that you can win in your own strength. And until you come to the place where you realize that you have to get your eyes off of your own effort, off of your own righteousness, and onto Jesus's, because it, what does the Bible say? There's been no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. Now, in the 16th verse, it says, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom ye see and know. In other words, Peter wasn't even looking at the faith as his own faith. He just looked at it as the faith that flows through him. It says, Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. In other words, he got his eyes off of the circumstance. He got his eyes off of the situation. He got his thoughts off of what he thought should happen, how he thought it should happen. He knew basically that God was there to save souls and to, and to, to heal broken lives and broken bodies and broken minds and broken people. That was the good news of the gospel. Jesus said, I've come that you have my life and might have it more abundantly. He says, the thief... The devil comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life, have it more abundantly. He, it played out in his life, even if he never spoke. You could tell the nature of the man and of God by what he did. His works spoke loudly, right? In other words, he didn't do the works first. His heart, that's where his heart was at. He didn't refuse anybody anything that came to him except one time, James and John's mother approached him and requested that one son sit on, on his right hand, I guess, and one on his left. 
that was the only time he said, you know, it's not for me to give that position, but my Father in heaven, whoever it's appointed to. And so <clears throat> you got to realize that the people that were hearing this message were brought up in a strict religious system of commandments, of touch this, don't touch that, of ritual washings, of what you can do and what days of the week you can do it on, of all these festivals and all these Sabbaths. And here comes these fishermen who had been with Jesus, untrained men, unskilled in the old covenant uh, traditions, so to speak, for the most part. And what, what do they do? They turn the world upside down. And it says the people who heard the word they preached were glad, and they were added to the church daily. Why do you think they were glad? They weren't mad. They were glad. Why? Because Jesus did away with the old. He says no man puts new wine in a new wineskin, otherwise it bursts. And that's what people are trying to do. They're trying to hold on to certain rules and regulations because it makes sense. It makes sense it makes sense because inwardly you know that it takes an effort to do the right thing. Right? It takes an effort sometimes to tell the truth when somebody asks you certain things. Right? It takes grace to keep your mouth shut sometimes when people are saying things, especially when they're false. It it takes an effort to keep your mouth shut when you're being accused of falsely. And Jesus did it. Right? And, and, and so what these people were hearing is the work is done. for The work has been done for you. Read it for yourself. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. And in a short time, the number of menaces came to be about 5,000. What did Jesus say? Take of me because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. But, but what have we been hearing? We haven't been hearing that. You only tell that to people when they're like in distress, when somebody just died and when they're totally depressed. But we don't hear an easy gospel being preached, right? All we hear, and and believe me, I understand. I understand why. I think you do too. You know, people say, well, you know, if you don't tell people that they've got to live right, they, well, you know what? When somebody has a new heart, they know right from wrong. They know good from evil, Right? Even if they're a brand new believer, there's a sense of right and wrong. The Spirit of God's in them to check them, you know. And as long as we're in this earthly body, we'll never be 100%. But when your eyes are on your own efforts, when your eyes are on your own shortcomings, even when they're on your strengths, it's it's a hard journey ahead of you. Right? Because it's like a sporting event. Imagine this. You're in a sporting event. Whatever, whatever sport you're playing, you know you got to perform to a certain level against the opposition or else you'll lose the game, right? And so the pressure is on you. You can't just fall asleep and, and just let things happen. And, and so the Bible admonition is to fight the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? At the heart of it, the foundation that everything is drawn from is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Him wiping out the ordinances that were against us, wiping out our guilt, wiping out the sin, putting us back in right standing with God, kind of like the prodigal son, right, sleeping with the pigs. He takes off the dirty coat, puts on the clean coat. He puts the signet ring 
with the authority of the of the family, with the with the authority of the father, giving it to the son. Jesus did all of that, right? It says he's he was the firstborn of not just a few brethren, but many brethren. And and so this week, let me tell you how I caught myself because according to the Bible, um. We who have believed enter into God's rest. It says that in the book of Hebrews, there remains a rest for the people of God. Those who believe enter in, into it. But there's a point when things are going wrong in life and you're trying to pray, you're trying to believe, right? And, you're, and you start out in your own strength. And it's easy. Naturally, your natural mind wants to put the focus on you, on your praying, on your believing, on your standing. But the, the real fight of faith is... is the, the real victory happens when we are praying to the point where we're able to get the, the telescope, so to speak, the binoculars off of ourself, off of our performance, and onto God, onto Jesus. When we're able to see him and, and the light of his presence blinds us to our own personal quirks, our own personal shortcomings, when we see his righteousness and that eclipses you know, our attempts, our failed attempts at living righteous. When we see that, when it overshadows it, it fills us with peace. That's why the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the beginning and he is the end. And so when you start the prayer process, when you start the believing process, you you start by beginning to take your eyes off. And it doesn't happen immediately because sometimes you look at situations and thought, wow, I did something so stupid I'm suffering because of choices I've made. And you can be down on yourself, but you know what? That's past now. There's nothing you can do about that. You've got to turn and look forward. The Bible says that the person that looks back has no place, is not effective for the kingdom of heaven, right? You don't put your hand on the plow and look back. You, you put on that plow and look forward. You know, I'm as guilty as anybody. I look to the, towards the past and I look at what's happening today and I thought, my God, I'm glad that I'm not uh, a young person going through today. And, and then I thought, well, I guess if somebody young heard me, that would make them feel too good, right? Uh, but talking about the way things used to be and, and, and the things that were better and the things that were nicer and, and you know, the, the people treating each other better than they do today and that kind of thing. And as long as I look at that, then I get filled with discouragement. I think, well, you know, what's the use? You know, we're, we're too far gone. But, you know, Jesus, look at him. He never went into a situation defeated. He was never intimidated by anything. Matter of fact, the boat was filling with water and he was asleep. His disciples woke him up saying, don't you care that we perish? Right? He rebuked the winds and the waves and then said to them, how is it that you're so fearful, O ye of little faith? Right? And so uh, let me leave you with this thought. The, the, the problem that I've seen happen over and over again with people is and, and and let's let's take a look at some of these verses. Let's take a look at some of the <clears throat> yoke is easy and burden is of is light verses. Right before he went to the cross, John 16, 23, it says, And in that day you will ask me nothing. More assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive why? That your joy may be full. You know, there's, there's a lot of people, they don't have any joy. Why? Because there's things in their, in their life that aren't working right. There's things in their life that shouldn't be the way they are. And he said, 
Ask and you in my name and you will receive that your joy may be full. So we don't see very many examples relative to the miraculous where people are actually praying. In other words, um, Peter used the name of Jesus for the sick person in Acts chapter 3. Peter healed Ananias of the palsy in Acts chapter 9. Let's, let's take a look at that quickly. It's Acts chapter 9. I actually have a physical Bible with paper <laughs> instead of just looking at the monitor. Acts chapter 9, verse number 33. He found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. So do you get that picture? Can you see somebody laying there in a bed, a dirty, dingy little bed, bedridden eight years, paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. And he rose immediately. Well, where did the faith come to do that? Did he just look at the man and say, you know what? I think I should pray for you. And he did. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying for people. Because the Bible says we ought always to pray one for another. He says that first of all, prayer, supplication, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's what the Apostle Paul taught Timothy. First of all, prayers, giving of thanks, supplications be made for all men, for those who are in authority. And But here, Peter's not actually praying. Maybe you can put this under prayer, but not as we understand it today. He didn't say, Father God, I'm asking you to heal. No, he didn't do any of that. But isn't that what we see happening today? No, instead, he, he called the man's name and says, Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't say Jesus Christ of Nazareth, like he did in, in the first. So again, he's just letting you know that Jesus, the Messiah, right? Ananias. Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Well, Ananias took action and he made the attempt to rise. And he rose immediately. He was made whole. You know, as long as we're in that same verse or that same chapter, go to the um, 39th verse. This is when uh, Dorcas was restored to life. Again, Peter is the one who God uses in this case. It says, Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with him. Peter put them all out. I wonder where he got that idea from, because that's what Jesus used to do. He used to put everybody out. He just let his inner circle, James, John, and Peter, stay with him in, in those examples. Peter put them all out, knelt down, and prayed. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't say what he prayed. Who do you think he prayed to? Well, he probably prayed to God the Father, right? I mean, Jesus said, in that day, you'll ask me nothing, right? So what, what did he pray? He probably prayed that God would do a miracle, but he didn't stop there. Because, and turning, and turning, he said to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. 
and it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So there again. Now, some people would say, well, you know, God just did that because he wanted people to be saved. Well, if God never changes, if Jesus never changes, why doesn't he do that today? He does. He does. We just don't see it as often in our culture. Now, I've seen it before, personally. I've seen it happen. And I followed this verse instinctively. I prayed, I let God know that a miracle was needed. And then I spoke, and a miracle happened. And I got to tell you, when it happened, at first I was totally, there was part of me that was shocked. Right? And I would say that's my head part. That's my eyes. Because if you ever see a miracle happen, and, and, and you see it happen a few times, when you start being a doer of the word, not a hearer only, then sometimes you wonder if your eyes are playing tricks on you. Right? But when you realize it's not your own power, it's not your own might, it frees you up to get to the place where God's faith, where Jesus' faith flows through you. Now, I've learned certain situations which just seem to last forever. You know, I forgot what the scripture verse is, but I'm going to end with this story. There's a story in the Old Testament. There was a famine in Israel at the time. There was a a terrible army approaching uh, the biggest of its time, and there were a few lepers in between them. And they said to themselves, you know, if we go back there, we die. If we go ahead, we die. We're just sitting here. And then the Holy Spirit moved on them. They decided to go forward. And the Lord made the army hear a sound of a huge army approaching. And they all abandoned their camp and left all the gold and the food and everything behind. And these lepers became heroes. Right? It doesn't say they were healed. Maybe they were. I, I don't doubt it. But the point is, Sometimes you feel like you're just sitting in the same situation over and over and over again, and you think you're believing, but you're not really believing. Now, I know it's frustrating. People get frustrated when they hear that, but let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean is, if you believe, you have to take some type of forward action. There has to be some type of forward movement. So let's say, for example, that one of the things you like to do is you like to, I don't know, play tennis, right? Or you like to jog, or there's some physical activity that you can't do because you're not well, okay? So if, if you pray to God and you do what these people did here, you talk to your body, you talk to the condition, you tell it what to do in Jesus' name, then from that moment forward, after you do that, every prayer relative to that first prayer that you made has to affirm your faith, not your doubt. Every communication you have with God should support the fact that you believe you have the answer. You have it by faith. You don't have it by physical fact. What that means, basically, in my opinion, is is that in God's world, it's already happened. Like he said to Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations Like he said to the Israelites, I've given the enemy into your hand. But they still had to move forward in their lives, in their situations, and do it. And so, you don't have running sneakers anymore because you're physically not it. You threw them out. So, if you've prayed, if you've spoken to your body in Jesus' name, instead of just reaffirming verbally, in Jesus' name you're healed, 
In Jesus' name, knees are healed. Thank you, Lord, for restoring my knees in Jesus' name. Instead of just doing those two things, right? Thanking the Father and letting that physical thing, that physical part, or that financial part, or that, that business situation, instead of just saying it and then wearing yourself out, t- make some type of plan, make some type of forward move. Maybe you go out and you buy new running shoes, even though you can't use them yet. In other words, what did, what did Jesus say? Stand up and walk. And the man said, he could have just said, I can't, I can't stand up and walk. I'm paralyzed. The lepers were healed as they went. Remember, Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, and they were healed as they went. Most miracles, when you see happening in the Bible, the person who needed it had to do something. The woman with the issue of blood said, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, and then she pressed her way through the crowd and did it. Right? There's always something that you can do that's a positive, forward-moving action. You know, I caught myself before in situations where I needed new business. I prayed for new business. I, I was speaking in faith. But you know what? I did the same thing every day that I did the day before. I didn't try calling new people. I didn't try talking to try and expand. I didn't actually go out there and, and try. I just thought that it would come to me. And it doesn't work that way most of the time. Now, sometimes maybe you, do, you don't do anything. It just happens. It overtakes you. But most of the time, you have to apply some type of action. Naaman the Syrian, was, was, um, who had leprosy, was told to dip himself in the, in, the, in the water X amount of times. And he was insulted by that. And what did his servants say? Well, you know, if he had told you, if the man of God told you to do something difficult, you would have. But what he, basically, what do you have to lose? And he dipped himself in there, and the seventh time he comes up totally normal. So you've got to put, you have to show God, right? Now, now I can't tell you what you should do, but you look into your own heart and ask God, what, what should I do? What type of movement should I take, right? It may mean, you know, there was a time, I remember in the 80s, I was out of college, I didn't have a job, and I was getting turned down, and finally I prayed the prayer of faith according to Mark eleven twenty four. I spoke words of faith, I spoke that I have it, I started influencing my mom at the time who agreed with me, you've got it, um, and I would make plans. I would make plans to go to my new job. When I would open up the paper and look in there and there wouldn't be any new numbers to call, I wouldn't get discouraged, right? But how many times do you pray for a while and then you look at the situation and then discouragement, you allow it to set in. And then you, you, you stop thanking God your prayer life begins to dwindle relative to that issue, right? No, no, prayer is the prayer. Yeah, you ask for the thing. Yes, you thank God for the thing, but you have, to, you have to stay on top of it or the light goes out inside you. You have to, on the inside, take hold of that thing and keep moving forward because it's not, it's, it's you're doing it by God's strength, not your own. Right, you're taking your eyes off of your ability. I know. I know it seems like um, it seems like a just two truths that contradict one another, existing at the same time. Yes, you have to put an effort, but no, you don't have to put an effort. The idea is is that the prayer changes you on the inside first, and then you see the thing come to pass on the outside. That thanksgiving that you make to God, God never changes right? But we do. As we thank God, as we spend quality time, and even if that time's only 30 seconds a day, but it's quality. You know, our heart is in what we're doing. I guess that's really what I'm trying to tell you. 
Your heart is in what you're doing. Your heart's in the prayer. Your heart is still in seeing the answer come to pass, right? But you're no longer focusing on the come to pass part. You're focusing on the fact that it's already done. In God's world, it's already done. And you're learning to get to that place of rest where you can see it done, right? And you can't get there just by mental effort. It's not something that, okay, I understand it. It's like not like a math equation that you have to figure out. It's you reaching out from your heart to the living God, to the living Jesus, to the living Holy Spirit, to the living Word. It's taking it as from a set of just facts or information. It's allowing it to multiply in your heart and allowing God to flow through you so that you can live in the reality of, and he shall have it. The and he shall have it part is the part that we think about a lot because we don't want to be in the place that we're in. We don't want to be defeated. We don't want to be in pain. We don't want to suffer lack. We want to be in the place where we're living on the other side of the answer, right? But the enemy wants you to keep your eye on your own self and on your own efforts and on your own holiness. And so once fear comes in, you know you're looking at yourself, you're not looking at God. Because perfect love casts out fear when you're focused on Jesus, right? Why did God give us Jesus besides the obvious reasons so we could see him? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what the Father is like, he's not, none, he's not different than Jesus. I know people find that hard to accept, but he's not different than Jesus. He's just like Jesus is. Like Father, like Son right? And I know there's people uh, that you know who are struggling. I know you would love to pray for them and love to see them, but begin to do, do it like they did it here. Do it like you're singing the word. Pray to God and then turn to the body and say, right? Or maybe you don't have to pray to God. Maybe you can just say it, you know? I know most of the time, now, now, Peter, made him, maybe he just came out of a prayer session and his heart was filled with faith. It was filled with encouragement. It was filled with belief. And then he saw the man there in Acts chapter 3 and all he had to do was speak. But you know what? When he approached Dorcas's situation, there were already widows there. They were crying. There was negativity. And what did he do? He put them all out. And what was he praying? Maybe he needed to get his heart out of the darkness and the unbelief that affected him by being around those people. And only then could he be in a place where he could turn to the body and say with confidence, rise. Open up your eyes. Right? I know that for myself. For reasons that I don't know, some days I wake up and I just feel like all the belief got sucked out of me the night before. And the situation looks more intimidating or a problem looks more intimidating than it ever did before. And this thought comes, uh, this situation is still here, and you feel it. You can, I know you know what I'm talking about. I know you can identify with it. We're all, we're all human, right? We're all subject to the same tests and trials. But we follow them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, it's, it's getting our eyes off of self, getting it onto God the Father, getting it onto the Word of God, getting it onto the person of Jesus until you can't see your own shortcomings, until you're getting it off your... The worst part is, I know what Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's when I know that he came to a point where he just said, I can't do it anymore. 
If there's something in you that thinks, well, you know, I can do, I got this, but it's still not working, then you got to ask yourself, maybe you don't got this, you know? Maybe you got to take your eyes off of you, off of the eye, and get it on to Jesus. Anyway, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. God bless you. I hope this has helped you. Um, if you haven't been to the main website yet, you can sign up for updates of this podcast there, or you can do it through iTunes or any number of places that this podcast, Faith Tested by Fire podcast, is listed. You can go to www.faithtestedbyfire.com. There's plenty of links plus a sign up there that you can sign up with. Thanks for listening. God bless. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.